Hello, everybody. This is Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelicoon. You are listening to episode 112, and tonight we are covering the top five best bad movies. Uh, best or bad, I'm not sure which is in quotation marks um, in this, but probably both. <laughs> These um these are the movies that are considered bad, but Frank um thinks are good, um, regardless of like what the pop, uh, popular opinion is. So uh I don't remember how we came up with this wasn't like an old list that you had created like a long time oh, ago. I I think I remember how it came up. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we were talking about Demolition Man one night and um how like even though it's a bad movie, we have um like fond memories of it and we started talking about like what other movies are bad and fit that description and i was like oh i could come up with a list pretty easy probably like a dozen huh. and so i gave you a list of five that checks sure that makes i think sense. that's what it was yeah yeah um okay so this is a fun list i mean it's 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 going to be a lot of movies i would assume that people haven't ever seen before some yeah like two of them maybe maybe people have seen like it depends on if you're i think a horror fan one for a couple of them yeah i think the casual movie goer probably has seen one to zero of these movies my mother tried to claim that she might have seen one of them and i was like mom you've never seen it and she was like yeah you're probably right so (laughs) um my mother might have seen one of these movies only because i watched it like um, oh yeah yeah i think the claim is made later 30 times a year for years yeah. um my my both my parents have seen that one but out of the other four i think that you know yeah they're very niche like genre films that are not very good and maybe like if you don't have the proper like mental i don't know I don't want to make them sound like they're something better than they are because they really are just kind of bad movies, but they're movies that I love for various reasons. And I think that they're entertaining and worth watching. So, right. So, um, as always, were there any other movies, uh, that could have possibly made this list? Yeah. So I have a list of stuff that I thought about. Um, uh, the masters of the universe movie is objectively (laughs) bad. And I really enjoy that movie a lot. Um, same with Hudson Hawk. Like Hudson Hawk is one of the most reviled movies of our childhood, but I genuinely sure. find it fun. Um, there is a musical, Australian musical from 1982 called The Pirate Movie. That's basically like a reimagining of the Pirates of Penzance. Um, that is like if you read reviews of it, it just got destroyed at the time. But like I love that movie. Um, same with Xanadu, the Jane Fonda disco musical from the 70s mm-hmm. um i think there's stuff like plan nine from outer space that we enjoy but is an objectively like bad movie oh yeah. yeah um a lot of roger corman stuff too falls into that category like humanoids from the deep and stuff where it's just not like a good movie but when you watch it i don't know, like there's things you can take out of it that are fun i mean i think plan nine is like the movie that would be most indicative of a thing like this right like is probably like the most well-known maybe probably yeah it had that resurgence after ed wood came out in the late 90s mid mid to late um that box set that you had the angora box set or whatever yeah um 
I mean, Ed Wood himself is like probably the king of that. Ed Wood, people like William Castle, um, the Canon Film Library. Um, it's weird because like I would never most of the Hammer stuff I wouldn't put on this list because I think those are reasonably decent movies. They just happen to be horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the difference is like there's some some people just don't like certain genres of movies and they would tell you that all those movies are bad. But like my my dad and I were talking a couple days ago about um horror movies and he's was saying how he just hates horror movies and he's never really liked them at all. And I mean, it's just, you know, it's not his bag. So sure. he would probably tell you any horror movie is bad. But I think that like a lot of movies from an objective standpoint, you could at least see like some like artistry or, or or craftsmanship you know or skill like in the building of a universe or the creation of a narrative or right just the way that certain scenes are filmed um like shots that directors get that show like something greater than just a person pointing a camera at some people and like filming it um and i think that most of these movies with the exception of the first movie are more or less just like amateurish in a lot of ways um, there's another movie that is super disliked and I like it. I don't know. I, I don't even know why I like it. It really is not a good movie. Um, in Last Man Standing. The Bruce the Willis. Bruce Willis man? Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I just I I'm a sucker for any of the um Yojimbo ripoffs, basically. Right. What's that's the, what it, it's the ham that's the Hammett um story, yeah, right? Yeah. Fuck. I can't remember the name of it now. Red Harvest. Is... Red Harvest. Yes, that's it. Yeah. So that was a version of that. Yeah. Um, but told with like the Yojimbo style of telling it. Um, wasn't wasn't Quick and the Dead also technically a Red Harvest adaptation? Yeah. I think I, I, think I read that somewhere. It was supposed to be, basically. But... There was another one from around that time, and I it escapes me now that's like 100% um, well, Miller's Crossing is a Red Harvest story, right? It is. Yeah. Miller's Crossing, yeah. I mean, like it all—they all owe a debt in terms of like the way they're filmed to Kurosawa and um, Yojimbo. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually another movie, not to get off on a complete tangent, but there's a movie called Kill with an exclamation point. That's um, basically the same story of Yojimbo, um, just told slightly differently. That's pretty fantastic. That's um yeah that's been on I think you told me about that I guess like and it's been um on my I think HBO watch list for like four months or something like that yeah you should watch it it's um it's, yeah I it's will fantastic. at some point yeah I'm I'm working my way down um we could just turn the whole podcast into talking about Red Harvest adaptations if you that, that's actually that's actually a good list but well we already spoiled it because of Joe Jimbo who's the number one movie on my list it's not Miller's Crossing. Um, Oh no! Fucking yeah! Come on now. Hmm. Okay. I I I love Miller's Crossing, but Yojimbo is so much a better movie than Miller's Crossing. Both in like execution and tone and okay, all right. Like, well, let's not spoil that podcast for four years down the road when we're right. out of ideas. <clears throat> um, and then I was thinking about stuff like the Lucio Fulci movies, which I know that you're not a fan of. Most of like um the Beyond and uh. The House by the Cemetery and um, uh, Gates of Hell or City of the Dead, whatever it's called, and um, it's original. Like those are pretty bad movies, objectively, but I really enjoy watching them. And we've already really we've already talked people about people the dislike them. 
Yeah, yeah. Really? I mean, aside horror from bu- uh, horror buffs, love them, I guess, but like, right? Like people that are into that like them, but like if you like actually look at reviews by people who are not whatever, like deeply invested in like horror, um, they're not very well received. I mean, they're ridiculous. Like all of them have the most ridiculous plots, and like nothing makes any sense, and the acting tends to be wooden and uh. Yeah, I guess. I yeah. I mean, there, there's elements of those movies that I do like. I mean, it's just the some of it is just too much for me. Fulci is Fulci is similar to um, Argento in the sense that like he's a guy that can capture the absolute like most perfect aesthetic essence of a scene, mm-hmm. and the scene makes no sense whatsoever in the context of the rest right. of the movie. But you know, he's got like the lighting down, and he's the angles are like perfect and the setting is perfect and it just everything like comes together and you're like what the fuck is even happening right now yeah but it looks nice sure i mean like look i mean whatever like fulci whatever i have against him like he did zombie too right yeah 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 Yeah, i mean it's like one of my like favorite zombie movies ever like so it's beautiful it's just right yeah Anything, anything else you had like on your possible um i can't think of anything else mm-hmm. i mean there's all kinds of shit from the 80s like the missing in action movies and um all those like sword and sandal epics that you despise um right. yeah although those have like a lot of those have kind of lower sunk on my in my estimation um as i get older just because of like the sheer amount of rape in them right um it's just way too much rape in like most of those movies uh-huh the Italians are all about like somebody getting fucking raped. Yeah. And then like falling in love with the person that raped them. Like it's just it's just it's it's bad. It's an incel's what dream. Right. No rape in any of these movies. <laughs> so bonus. No right. No rape. No rape. That's that's true. <laughs> there. There's one that I, I I did write down a couple lines that is extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> no rape, no rape. <clears throat> I have some lines written down too, so it's probably the same movie I would imagine. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, yeah. you ready to start then? I am. All right. So number five on your list is Nightmare City from 1980s, directed by Umberto Lenzi. It stars Hugo Stiglitz and Laurie Trotter. It has a 40% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, a 41% from audiences. Want to tell us about this movie and why it made the list? Can't believe he left Mel Ferrar out in a in an important role in Nightmare City. Um, Ferrar. It's not Miguel Ferrar. So yeah, but it, Mel, Mel Ferrar, he's a I mean, look, look up that guy's filmography at some point, because that's a man that was in like, I guarantee he's been in at least 100 movies, like just terrible, low budget shit. Okay. Um, anyway, so Nightmare City is a um, post, <coughs> pardon me, post-apocalyptic zombie movie <coughs> where the zombies aren't necessarily technically zombies in the sense that like they're the walking dead they're basically um mutated humans from some catastrophic like chemical accident that happened or some tests or i don't know whatever they're never 100 percent clear or like there was like nuclear waste or something um so anyway 
so oh my god how to explain this movie so this there's this plane that lands at this airport <clears throat> and um hugo stiglitz plays this uh absolutely taciturn reporter whose job it is to go and report on this plane because there's a scientist that might be on it um who disappeared at one point so turns out the plane is infested with um dozens of these creatures who basically look like they have pieces of like potato and sod like glued to their face Hmm. um in various degrees um that come out and just like murder everyone it's a good description (laughs) i i mean it's what it looks like and we'll 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 get to that part because it's another one of the reasons why i like this movie but um so basically these creatures are like overrunning this airport and hugo stiglitz runs away after like a couple minutes of watching people get murdered um he doesn't really run he just kind of like saunters off to go back to his uh, studio um the government doesn't want anyone to know about it for whatever reason like there's no real like logic behind why they don't want anyone to know um because i guess they just don't want people panicking like as they die they'd rather just have them get surprised and die maybe um stiglitz goes back to his studio um interrupts some saturday afternoon like dancing i don't even know what you call it like modern ballet disco dancing program Uh um to break in and tell people about this incident but he gets cut off and told we don't want anyone to know about this and he's like well fuck it i quit um but then the studio gets overrun with the walking dead because i guess like they're or not the walk whatever they are these undead zombie-ish creatures because i guess they're really fast and can like get there super quick and it is one of the first movies that has like what you would call like the running zombie in it where it's not like a shambling corpse it's like an actual like right fully mobile um i think i had read at one point that uh who did 28 days danny boyle danny um, did. yep mm-hmm. had taken some inspiration from the way that uh Lindsay, like filmed and utilize like the creatures in this movie um so then you split off into basically three separate plot lines and there's plot line one which is stiglitz trying to get to the hospital where his wife works and then plot line two is the wife working in the hospital where the dead are kind of like invading then there's plot line three which is um this couple uh who the one the woman is the daughter of the general um, who's trying to cover everything up and they're trying to escape and go into the countryside basically to get away from these zombies um a bunch of shit happens there's a bunch of really bad dialogue um there's a scene where one of like the he's like a lieutenant or something is like making out with his topless girlfriend and he gets a call and he has to stop and she's like sculpted this head out of clay that kind of sort of resembles like the monsters and he's like i feel something when i look at this i feel like and she says like death and he says nah something i can't explain and then like later there's a knife stabbed into it and she freaks out then she like sculpts it again and 
really like she's just an idiot and her friend comes over and then her friend gets killed and then she gets killed um then the people that tried to escape they go to meet their friends but their friends are zombies of course and the zombies get killed and then i don't know like everybody dies pretty much in this movie right um except for stiglitz and laura his his wife who go to an amusement park that has a church in it for some reason yeah and then the priest is infected which i guess is supposed to imply that it's not like some kind of demonic thing it's like whatever like it's supposed to be like this ecological warning fable or whatever but it fails at that entirely um so then they they fight the zombies on a roller coaster for a while like on the tracks of a roller coaster and as they're being saved by this helicopter um hugo stiglitz wakes up and then it all starts over again because Umberto Lenzi is like the laziest dude and does not end a movie. Um, yeah, it's pretty common during that time, though, too. Yeah, that's one of the problems with a lot of the movies from this time is that directors <laughs> was like, I, I don't fucking know. So it's like, oh, I it was all a dream or was it? And then, you know, whatever. Right. Um, so objectively, like it's not filmed very well. Um, the dialogue is like laughable throughout pretty much um the performances are pretty awful like by and large um and a lot of that has to do with the fact that you know they're filming a movie in a different language and then dubbing it into um english but these actors are not like there's no great shakes here uh hugo stiglitz particularly one of the most um wooden non-emotive motherfuckers ever to grace the silver screen um but there's something like about it 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 happens in this movie and it's going to happen in our number four movie so i'll just talk about it in general and then i can be more specific in that one and here i love these ridiculous italian motherfuckers who just got like some plaster of paris and some dirt and like smacked it on some poor extra's face Right. And like kind of vaguely made it look like sort of like a skull, but then like there's no rhyme or reason. Like some people have these giant like dirt helmets kind of that are covering up one of their eyes. And some people just have like a little bit and some people like look skeletal and some people don't like it's just it's this mishmash of just like whatever shit they could smack on somebody and make them look not human. And then that's that's a zombie in this world. Um, and none of it makes any sense like story-wise I mean again it's supposed to be this ecological like warning or whatever Um, but it doesn't succeed at that because it never truly establishes like what caused it to happen or you know whatever I mean I guess they kind of vaguely say that uh, it was a a nuclear accident or a chemical accident I can't remember what um but I don't know, like, there's just something about it that's a lot of fun to watch. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm a fan of movies that make you laugh um, at how ridiculous they are, but take themselves completely seriously. So it's not like making fun of itself or making fun of the genre. Like, he's legitimately trying to scare you with this movie, but it doesn't come off as scary at all. Um, no. I think it's funny. I, I think it's funny that just like the random zombies just like popping up places. Like they're at this airfield and they're all on foot, but then somehow they all manage to like spread all over the place. 
<clears throat> like super fast within the span of a couple hours like they're just everywhere um but i guess that's the element of the fact that it's quote-unquote a dream or whatever um even though the last scene is what is it the dream has ended but now the nightmare has begun or something yes like that. yes it's begun just fucking i mean look um, umberto Lenzi is is a fucking hack and like i love the man and he's done some ridiculous movies but by and large like not a good director um kind of one of those guys is just like well fuck it we're just gonna film it and whatever happens happens um he's responsible for probably the most exploitive of the cannibal um horror movies in a cannibal for ox um he also did eaten alive um it just uh really just like a, a tried and true like exploitation director but but he he was a second unit or like a, a first unit director or second unit director on tons of like famous italian stuff right yeah i mean he had a really long career um working in italian cinema he was he was pretty old when he was making these movies yeah um he just could crank out movies like super fast i mean not a lot of thought to continuity or right. reshoots or whatever it's just let's <clears throat> let's just do what we can and get these movies out of here and i don't know but they all have a certain i don't know cannibal frocks is really hard to watch but beyond that like they all have a pretty um pretty nice uh, not nice nice is a stupid word um they're just fun and mindless and I don't know. Like, I really like that DIY aspect of the way the the makeup looks and the actors are, and that they're just pulling like extras from everywhere. So, right. Yeah, it's fun. <clears throat> I don't have a lot to say about these kind of movies. Like, it's just I, I thought it was fun. Like, it wasn't painful to watch. Like, considering how bad it is, um, I thought the stiltedness of the actors actually is largely what made it funny a lot of times oh yeah yeah um but nothing memorable to me in terms of dialogue necessarily nothing that i felt like i need to like go like write down my phone or anything like that it was just like just this bland like sterile like you said taking it very seriously and i did think there were some inventive things in this though like i love the amusement park stuff at the end um yeah. and again like i'm a big fan of the fact that like and again this is something we're going to talk about with the next movie too every single one of those fucking zombies looks completely different right like, there was enough care and attention taken by the visual effects team or whatever to truly like make all these motherfuckers just look like completely unique creatures instead of whatever just like generic zombies or whatever you want to say um not taking into account human physiology or anatomy at all because seriously heads like three times bigger than they should be or i don't know just like weird shit like growing out of them or whatever but still like it's it's fun to watch and it also is one of these movies that i had known about for a long time but i could never find to rent mm -hmm. um so i wasn't even i didn't even see this until probably oh seven or oh eight maybe hmm. um and it was because of a media blasters if you're familiar um no they were a 
were are i don't know um like a genre film um dvd release company so they did a bunch of anime they did a bunch of um like uh asian shock stuff um like karate movies and um like the hands or the razor shit um and then they released at one point through their um imprint shriek show um they did a whole bunch of uh zombie cannibal um box sets of like the um what's his name uh the guy that i like a lot from the 70s uh pete pete walker Mm -hmm. um a couple box sets of his stuff um so they just like curated like this huge collection of long out of print hard to find horror movies and released them in box sets for like 15 dollars a lot of times for three dvds and some really great stuff and so nightmare city is um was one of the movies that came out as a result of that so gotcha but yeah, that's it. I don't know. All right. Well, I mean, you have four, five and four links here. So let's go ahead and move on to four. Um, so number four on your list is Burial Ground from 1979. It is directed by Andrea Bianchi. It stars Mary Angela Giordano, Karen Well, and Pietro Barzancini, uh, anglicized as Peter Bark. Peter Bark. That's what um, you got to go on. And... <clears throat> It has uh, no rating from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, and it has a 50, 51% from audiences. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about this movie and uh, why it's on the list? Um, so very similar to Nightmare City, um, it just in terms of like the slapdash, like DIY feeling of it. Um, this dude that in my notes I described as... Um, archaeologist jesus is like investigating these ruins of the etruscans um and he's discovered this key to this language or whatever where he's unlocked this kind of supernatural power so he's down there fucking around in these tombs and it causes the dead to rise um this is in the same way of nightmare city some of the most memorable and ridiculous zombie makeup ever um with like bones of the skull like where no bones should be and right like some people are just like wearing like makeup kind of with like a little bit of like um paste or putty or whatever on it and some like a lot of them are have these full fucking like giant like head things that are like sculpted to kind of look like skulls um one of the funniest it's it's really like one one of the first times that I laugh watching this movie every time is um Jesus is down there like digging up the um like whatever like he's knocking some stones out or whatever and this zombie like does this quick little two step up behind him and it's like the fastest that any zombie moves in this entire movie he's just like Ugh. um and so Jesus turns around and is like no I'm your friend um, and then the zombies eat them. So this group of three couples um, and one couple brings their quote unquote, like uh child son um, come to this mansion where the doctor was doing his investigations 
And the mansion's owned by a guy that is like a hunchback Gene Wilder in a turtleneck. Um, and his wife and then their eight-year-old or nine-year-old kid, however old the kid's supposed to be, um, who's very clearly played by an incredibly short adult man, um, including like crow's feet and weird wrinkles in his face. Um, Michael is the kid's name. Um, so then there's another couple, which is like, a dude that looks like um, Niles Crane and mm-hmm. a woman who's supposedly a model, but is also a psychic kind of mm-hmm. um, who has a premonition that like, they shouldn't have come to this mansion because terrible things are going to happen. And then there's another couple where it's like a Tom Selleck looking guy and his like attractive, but just basic, like early eighties Italian, like beauty kind of. So all three couples basically decide, well, this is a good time for us to fuck. So they all do that. Um, and then they kind of split up. So. Oh, and then there's a maid and a butler who are kind of just hanging out there, too. Um, so the family, the three, they go down in the basement because they're going to take a look at these artifacts that the professor has dug up. And then the model and the photographer guy, Niles Crane, they go outside into the grounds because he's going to take some like sexy pictures of her. Um, And then Tom Selleck wants to just go sit outside and write. Um, So his girlfriend goes out with him too. But then the dead rise and they're like very slowly kind of chasing them all over the place. Um, And nobody can really get away because they're just like terrible at like running away. Um, so turtleneck gets killed downstairs even though he has a gun and he's shooting these dead creatures in the chest like repeatedly um the treasure of this movie is is the peter bark who plays michael is the biggest fucking creep yes in any movie ever like early on there's a scene where michael's mother um who another like very traditional like full bosom you know wavy dark hair like dark-eyed italian like beauty um she's getting ready to fuck i guess the guy that owns the mansion is not michael's father he's like he's not a stepfather or a boyfriend of some kind boyfriend yeah i think um so he's already got this edible thing going on where like he doesn't want anyone else to have his mother right so there's this hilarious scene where the mother comes in to check on him and she's looking he's like asleep in bed and she's looking down and like this big smile on her face like oh my beautiful son and then she turns and walks out and it's just like rack focus and his eyes open up really wide like Uh i mean it's seriously if you were establishing this kid as like the main villain it would be that would be an appropriate way to do it right um so then the kid like walks in on the mother and her boyfriend having sex and he just kind of stands there for a minute. Um, There's also extreme close-ups in that scene um, as well, which is really disturbing to me. Um, yeah. That of him just, staring. Yeah. like Just so I can add real quick, before he walks in, when they're getting ready to have sex, I have this written down. The boyfriend tells her, you look just like a little whore, but I like that in a girl. Right. <laughs> That's the kind of movie this is. Um, and then Good he line. walks in and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and it's like one of the most disturbing, like son, like walking in on sex, like I've ever seen. Well, yeah, because she, they're in bed, and as soon as he walks in, 
she jumps up and runs naked to the other side of the yes. room and picks up her robe like she's going to cover up her her nakedness but she takes but it then, takes so long to do that though it's right and then just like lets the robe hang down under her bosom uh-huh and he's staring at her and she's right. like go back to bed and he's like but i'm your son mother right. and then he runs off so yes. and that line is repeated a couple times in the movie mm-hmm. um so anyway so the zombies are going after all these people and there's the blonde model gets her legs stuck in a bear trap and her boyfriend isn't strong enough to open it so he keeps like snapping it on her ankle and these slow ass zombies are kind of coming up on him but then um tom Selleck and his girlfriend figure out that if you hit the zombies in the head with a rock and crush their skulls that it'll stop them um so they do that and then they all barricade themselves in the house um but the zombies because they're etruscans and they knew how to use tools like just gather all these tools together and figure out how to like break into the house um oh really <laughs> i mean i guess that's why right. i don't know no i think that's right yeah. and then these idiots that are in there like they keep going into empty rooms with like no barricading just for like no reason like they'll just walk in there and they'll be like oh we can't let these zombies get in but then they just let them in and they stand there and like stare at him and i guess it's supposed to be in like shock and fright or disgust or whatever but not displayed really well in the movie though um so a couple people die um (laughs) including uh tom salek's girlfriend she gets she gets bitten um so then after one particularly vicious attack that they survive uh michael and his mom are like walking and they sit down on a bench and Michael's like, I can't bear to be away from you. Like, I need to be near you. And he starts rubbing her. He starts, he kisses her, like, romantically a few times. And mind you, this is supposed to be, like, a nine-year-old kid. Then he starts rubbing her boob. And then he starts sliding his hand up her leg, like, into her crotch. And she's like, Michael, no. And he's like, but mama, I'm your son. What's the problem? And then he runs off. Um, so... He comes upon Selleck's girlfriend, who's a zombie, who rips his arm off and then eats it. And then there's this really funny scene where the mother comes in and she's like, oh, Michael, you're dead. And Selleck's zombie's just sitting there, like, going to town, like, eating this arm, like, not paying attention to anything. So then the mother kills her because she's so upset about her son being dead. And then there's this, like, really long sequence where they escape the house and and here's the thing about this movie is like these zombies are slow as shit and all they have to do is go out into the open and just make sure that there's no zombies around and just run away right. and they would have been fine but they keep going into places where they're like trapped and this is why they all die so they see this monk wandering around and they go into this monastery and then at this point it's tom Selleck, niles crane um blonde chick and uh michael's mom are the only ones left alive um so it turns out that all the monks are i guess like old etruscans and they're all dead um so they eat tom Selleck. um and then another hilarious scene like they eat tom Selleck, and then the three remaining protagonists come in to where they have him lay down on the table and they're just like chowing down on him and they're like ah and the monks just kind of like look up at him and look back down at Tom Selleck and then look up again and like shrug and just start shuffling after him. 
um which i was uh, like another thing in this movie is ridiculous is like the zombies want to eat you until like they just don't and then they just want to go eat somebody else like i don't know anyway so they barricade themselves in this basement of the monastery and the undead come in um and then maybe the most disturbing scene in the movie is zombie michael comes in and this is they're they're getting ready to flee again because they realize immediately hey it's probably a bad idea to barricade ourselves in this place where like they can get in and we can't get out so as they're running up the stairs to leave michael comes in zombie michael and the mother's like oh i was so mean to you i never want to be away from you my lovely son um and then the zombie reaches up and grabs her boob because even in death michael is still a colossal fucking incestuous pervert um so she's like oh you want mama's breasts just like when you were a kid so she pulls her top open and like lets michael like breastfeed but then he bites her boob off um and then all the zombies come in and basically kill them all and uh that's it that's the movie yeah it's one of the there quite quite a few of the Italian zombie movies from around this time period. So say like 78 to like 84. A common trope is for them to end with like no one surviving. Like this is basically like this is the end of everything and you're you know you got to bear witness to it. Um Now this movie has no Whereas at least Umberto Lenzi was trying to pretend like he had some kind of social commentary. This movie is just a straight up like the dead rising from their tombs. Um, but I love the makeup effects in it. Again, like the zombies are ridiculous. Um, they have this effect they repeat a lot where they put like maggots or worms like in the makeup and let them like squirm around, which is really kind of a disgusting thing. Um, on the other side, it looks like they're basically using like uh, tempera paint in place of blood and it's oftentimes like not red so some zombie will get cracked open and, like it'll just squirt out like this paint looking shit um yeah funny movie yeah. like it makes me laugh every time i watch it um but i also i again like i love the way the zombies look in it like i'm a big sucker for that aesthetic So make no sense. Niles Crane, early on in the movie with the model psychic, uh huh, is taking pictures of her like he's like the fucking dude in blow up. Uh huh. He says to her, "You're turning into a great." Uh, the fact that little keeps coming up as a as an adjective to describe these women, like little little ho- little whore, and so he tells tells her, "You're turning into a great little model," and she says, "Then I deserve a, a raise in pay," and he says. You'll You're get a getting raise. a raise out of out of me, all right. And it has nothing to do with money. It's <laughs> yeah. a good line. It's also this, a time this, where um, this movie is so grotesque. And it's, when Michael it has Michael, nothing to do with the zombies or anything. It's just oh, it's the people. Yeah. So there's one there's one point during the end after a couple people have died, um, where the butler is still one of the people that's alive. And these fucking classist, like, elitist fucks say, hey, Butler, we need you to go downstairs to the armory and get us some weapons, just whatever you can find. You go ahead. We're going to stay safe up here. 
And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, then the dude's like, all right, yes, sir, I got you. <laughs> and then he immediately goes and dies because that's when the professor's corpse comes back. Um, there's a scene where Michael Turtleneck and Mother are downstairs. Um, Turtleneck is trying to teach the mother how to shoot a gun, which is where the gun comes into play that he doesn't know how to use. And he can't shoot the zombies in the head because he could have eliminated at least like seven or eight zombies in that scene. And Michael finds this like piece of burlap and he picks it up and he's like, Mama, this cloth smells like death. And she's like, Oh, Michael, put that old coat, put that old rag down. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it, whatever. It's, it's funny. Yeah. I, it's entertaining. It's quick. Actually, when it becomes, um, it's actually less entertaining to me when it becomes more about the zombies. Like, like I See, love I think, the initial character setup. Like, I think that part is hilarious because there's these creatures that, like, n- number one, they get set up in the most ridiculous ways. Like, it's almost like a Benny Hill sketch. Like, it'll be walking and then, like, a zombie will just, like, pop up and, like, look around out of nowhere. Right. And then, like, they're these shambling creatures that are, like, I don't know, just whatever, like brutes kind of, except that they know how to use scythes and battering rams and rakes and spears and machetes. Like they have like all these like finite like motor skills to use these tools and use them in like the most correct ways. So, right. It's almost like, I mean, they're just like people, they just want to eat you, you know? Right. And some of them deserve it, really. Yeah, it could be that there's just so much absurdity in it that it's like I need to watch it again just to even notice even the more subtle nuances of like the filmmaking. Like, yeah this this was a movie that I rented when I was younger and had vague recollections of. So I don't know. It didn't really stick with me the first time I saw it. Um. So who knows like why that is? But it was another one that. It was in a Shriek Show three-pack with um, two other zombie movies. Um, And I watched it, and this is like, whatever, I don't know, 12 years ago, maybe 13 years ago, and was like, what the fuck am I watching? And so I watched it again within like a day, and then within like a couple weeks, I watched it a third time. Um, And I've probably seen this movie like six or seven times since I bought it. Mm. Um, It's something where if I was younger, uh, it would have been something I would have forced everybody to watch just because it's so funny. Um, but instead I just kept it to myself until now. So you're the sole beneficiary of a burial ground of the Knights of Terror. Uh, are you talking to our listeners? No, I'm talking to you. Oh. I don't know. Okay. Are, the, are our listeners ever going to like seek this movie out? They might. Yeah, they might. They might. There's there's things going on you don't even know, like in terms right. of our listenership. I don't oh, tell shit. you about that shit every week. Um, I don't need to know anything about nothing. That's <laughs> no, a fun movie. I mean, it's 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 absurd. Like like I said, Mama. there are <laughs> fucking Peter Park. Um, Mama, I'm your son. It's not strange. <laughs> I like how you're doing half a Luigi. Like when you do it, like you're you're Mama just not. Mia. All right, you're not going all the way with the I'm I'm a. <laughs> um, in terms of uh, this director, um, Andrea Bianchi, the only other thing I've seen of his is a movie called Strip Nude for Your Killer. Mm. It's a Giallo from the mid '70s that I actually mm. thought was pretty decent. 
Um, it's free somewhere, but I can't remember where. Uh, maybe Shutter, or maybe I, I subscribe to this channel called Arrow, that has a bunch of like seventies and eighties genre films. Um, so it might be there. Um, but then everything else, like I don't know, I don't think I've seen any of his other stuff. I would like to, and then Peter Bark is a guy that just kind of like disappeared. <clears throat> I guess they got him because he was this diminutive little weirdo. Probably. I mean, it fits. Like, he fits the role really, really well. So. Mama. <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right. So number three on your list is 1987's Surf Nazis Must Die. It is directed by Peter George, stars Barry Brenner, Gail Neely, Bobby Breesey, and Michael Sony. It has a 20% from critics and a 31% from audiences. So this is your lowest rated only because two of the movies didn't um, have any scores from critics. Yeah, that's how I like it. So... Uh. What's this movie about, and um, why why you like it? I mean, the title kind of says it all. Um, <laughs> it's a very bare-bones plot. So in the near future, um, California has partially fallen into the ocean, basically. Um, series of earthquakes or whatever has destabilized everything and blah, blah, blah post-apocalyptic wasteland so the beaches have been taken over by surfer gangs um who are usually comprised of like two to five people yet somehow have complete autonomy and like no fear of the law or whatever um so the major surfer gang is led by adolf who fancies himself like the new fuhrer um and all of his cronies kind of are um represented representations of like different nazis sort of Mm -hmm. um i guess there's six of them so maybe that's why they're the the toughest gang because every other gang has like three people um so their idea is that they're going to unify all of the gangs into one um reich basically and rule the beach um there's this dude named Leroy who's like a safety inspector for these oil pumps on the beach um, that gets murdered by um, the surf Nazis. Uh, it ter- causes his mother to lose her mind um, and get a gun and get some grenades and come and hunt the surf Nazis down and kill them. And that's pretty much the the crux of the movie. Um There's some other, I mean, there really is no other minor subplots. It's basically just the surf Nazis want all the other gangs to be under them. The other gangs, some of them are like, okay with it. Some of them aren't. Um, There's some fighting that happens. Um, A lot of talking, like more than anything else in this movie, or like setting up like different scenes or whatever. And a lot of it doesn't even really pay off. Um, There's a minor subplot with one of the, uh, the youngest surf Nazis, who's named Smeg, um, whose mom doesn't want him to be a surf Nazi anymore. She just wants him to like have like nice friends and doesn't want him to go down to the beach because she's afraid he'll get killed. Um, yeah, I don't know. 
it was picked up and distributed by Troma, um, created by a company called the Institute, who I don't really know anything about, um, but Troma released it and distributed it. Um, what I really love about this movie, and like number one, this is a movie that I, I don't know, it's probably like a nine ninety nine act or Ames VHS pickup maybe when they had a bunch of trauma stuff. Um, everything looks like it's got a very like guerrilla filmmaker style to it in the sense that it looks like everything was filmed just in real places and probably without the permission of the people that own those places. Um, and it really gives it kind of like this otherworldly, like post-apocalyptic feel. Um, like the surf Nazis have their base at this bunker and the way they film the bunker, it makes it seem like bigger and more imposing than it is, even though probably just some kind of like storm shelter on the beach somewhere in California. Um, a lot of stuff in like warehouses and, um, when they're on the beaches themselves, you can see like the giant, like oil derricks in the distance. And that gives it a really weird, like otherworldly feel. Um, I think the costuming is pretty great in it. Like the way they dress the Nazis up in each of the gangs has their own like theme or whatever. And so they all dress differently. And for a movie that probably did not cost much money at all to make, like there's definitely a lot of love that went into it. Um, it's not a great movie by any stretch, but I think it's, it, I, I've, man, I don't know. Maybe like 10 or 11 times I've watched Surf Nazis Must Die in my life. And um, I always find it to be entertaining. This is probably the least entertained I was when I watched it this time. But um, I still really liked it. <laughs> Wait on to cut it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, there, there was like 16-year-old Frank like loved this movie. Because right. Number one, right. because it's it's kind of the perfect blend of like exploitation because it has, you know, it has some sex, it has some comedy, it has some violence. Um, it really does feel like its own, like self-contained universe in a lot of ways. Um, it also made you feel like, like if these idiots can make this, like I can make a movie, like I could do all this stuff. Right. So I don't know. Right. I was always a big fan of movies like that. There's things that I found oddly entertaining about watching this movie for the first time in probably, I don't even know, 25 years. Um, I think I had to watch like every Troma movie pretty much or like anything that was distributed by Troma at some point in my life in the 90s. So, um, yeah, this was always one of my like probably least favorites back then. Yeah, you said that before. But this is, uh, this is, there were still some things that were kind of, uh, entertaining, I guess. Um, I particularly liked Gail Neely, um, as, as mama, um, in this. Like, she's my favorite part. can take a cracker down to 20 yards. Yeah. Like, I, she, she's my favorite part of the entire thing. Um, I think it's Sony that plays, um, Mangala in it. Like, he has some entertaining lines as well sometimes. Um, I fucking hate the dude that plays Adolf. Like I, I can't. God, like he's a good heel because I, I, I can't stand the motherfucker. Like he, but he's got like go, go away heat with me rather than like real heat. Like I fucking hate the dude. Um, yeah, he's pretty detestable. Yeah. Who is this Bobby Breezy person? 
Uh, she's a B actress. Okay. Are you like, asking because like most places say like, oh, Bobby Breezy? Yeah, she's in this. Like you know, people like act like it's a big deal, and I and I don't understand it because like I went to Wikipedia and it's like she doesn't even have an entry. And she's been in a bunch of shit. Yeah, I didn't go to MDIP because God, who wants to go to that website ever? <laughs> it's pretty hard to watch or pretty hard to look at. Yeah. Um, I don't know. She's ton of like horror movies and B movies from. Gotcha. Um, By the way, I looked up Mel Ferrar too. I don't know anything that dude's ever been in except for um, sh- he's uncredited as a guy smoking in charade. Um, that's mm. it. Never seen before in my life. Do you know that um uh like the the myth is here that Ebert says he walked out after thirty minutes of this movie? Not no, but that's that's fine. Yeah. Leave it. I, I had heard that like before, like I rewatched it and um so I paid attention. Um oddly oddly it gets better after those thirty minutes. <laughs> like you know, I think he walked I out think... too soon. <laughs> I think you watched a Bobby Breezy movie during COVID. What? Is this Bobby Breezy's first appearance on the podcast, though? Oh, yeah. I wouldn't, her, her movies are terrible. Okay. You Did you I watch um, a Bobby Breezy movie? Okay. What is it? Yeah. You, you watched that Mausoleum movie, didn't you? The one with the woman in the house that gets possessed. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. <laughs> what is the, what is the line from Clerks? It's like, do you do you have that movie with that guy that was? <laughs> like, I can't help what you're watching. It's this. She's this like young, like whatever, like buxom blonde, and she's doomed to get cursed because of her family history. There's a scene where she like tries to seduce the gardener or whatever, and ends up killing him. That's the scene that I always remember from that movie. Nah, I've, I'm reading this. I've never watched this from. It's free, like, a couple places. I don't know. It just seems like something you might watch at some point. But anyway, that's her claim to fame. Is she's from gotcha. that. Okay. And she's in Gold. And she's a Star Slammer and some other stuff, too. So. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, there's really that's it. Let's 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 move on. Least favorite, least favorite viewing ever. <laughs> What's this viewing? It's just diminishing returns. You know what I mean? Right. All right. So I need to give it like ten years and then watch it again, and we'll see how I feel. What was the last time you watched before this? Five or six years, I guess, probably. Maybe give it like twenty years. All right, number two, number two on your list is It Came From Somewhere Else from 1988. It is directed by Howard Hassler. It stars Robert Buckley, William Vandersdale, and Don Aldridge. It has no rating from critics, and it has a 50% from audiences. So tell us about this movie um, and why it's number two. So I got to tell you some backstory to this movie before I tell you. Okay. Um, about the plot if it's such a thing um we've talked about this before but when i was a kid a teenager um one of the things that we used to do is we would go into newark delaware where university of delaware is and we would um 
stop at several places like you know we'd go to the comic book store we go to the record store one of the places we would go in was the Woolworth because Woolworth always had two for five dollar VHS tapes and this is where I got like Night of the Living Dead on VHS a bunch of Godzilla stuff um, a bunch of the Universal um, monster movies and the Hammer monster movies and like Roger Corman movies like it was always those really chintzy thin cardboard VHS sleeves you know what I'm talking about um that had like it was like a four color sleeve with just like a very basic description on the back so going well Woolworth one day and um there's this movie and it's got a ridiculous cover of like these really badly drawn people like screaming kind of um underneath a marquee and the tagline is the worst movie ever made so I was like fuck it for two dollars and fifty cents like I'll buy it um and I watched it and then I immediately watched it again. And then I made my friends watch it and we watched it again in the same night. And it became like this thing where I never knew anyone else that had seen this movie aside from people that I showed it to. Um, but it just made me laugh like so much. Like it was so funny and so weird and so obviously almost like purposefully low budget and not even like a B movie, like a Z movie basically um with a plot that doesn't really make any sense um so i guess let me see if i can summarize it there's aliens that are invading the earth sorry getting tired there's aliens that are invading the earth um and they decide to invade through this town called grand bosch which is close to the canadian border um they slip in past norad because the NORAD, like, radar monitors or a couple of nitwits. Um, so they invade this town, and what it causes is hands to grow in fields, like human hands, and people to spontaneously combust. Um, and the aliens can take the form of people. Um, so the sheriff in the town and the doctor in the town and um, Buckner the father of Julie Buckner um, are trying to investigate, but dude, I don't even know. Like in the end, it's almost like a day the earth stood still, but like without any kind of context where the aliens were kind of just trying to do these agricultural experiments, but we were aggressive towards them. So they had to fight back. And then the government decides they're going to nuke Graham Bosch to get rid of the alien threat. And that shit happens. Um, that's the movie. Right. It is. I could probably almost quote like the entire movie to you right mm-hmm. now. Um, it's shot on no budget whatsoever. Like the special effects are laughable. Um, most of the time, like when there's things floating or hovering. You can see the strings. Uh, there's random. It's shot in black and white, except for some scenes that are just randomly in color um, for no particular reason, including an incredibly long strip tease um, by the secretary of. Fuck, I can't remember what his name is. Uh, the, this guy that works for basically like the Department of the Interior doing like alien investigations. Um, 
I don't know. It's got some really quotable lines that make no sense unless like you know the movie. And even then, I think you just kind of have to find them funny because they're not necessarily purposefully funny. They just make they make me laugh like every time. Um, like there's one point where there's this Jesus, I don't even know what you'd call him. He kind of looks like Paul Orndorff a little bit, like a fat Paul Orndorff, the wrestler. Um, he's an alien that's disguising himself as like a sheriff's deputy. And he's driving these two girls, uh, Julie Buckner and her friend, back to town. Um, and he's like, hey, ladies, you need a lift? Like, better buckle up. What does he say? Like, I don't have this hand. And then he holds up this obviously fake hand, and they're like, ah! I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So th- this is the first time you've seen this movie, right? It is. Despite the fact that I'm I'm pretty sure I probably told you about it a few times. Yeah. Over the course of our friendship. So what was your impression of this movie? Like watching it at 40-whatever years old you are for the first time? Um... It was the number five movie if I had to rank them um, mm. out of this list. I thought there was jokes that were... F- I understand that it's like supposed to be mocking in some way. Um, I thought there were jokes that were that landed in terms of like being a send-up of like 50s sci-fi stuff. You have to understand I also hate 50 sci-fi stuff largely um so but some of the jokes landed some of it was just so bizarre and outlandish that it was funny some of it was so bizarre and outlandish that i thought it was just stupid um at times and um i read a bit about a bit about this movie i think it's really impressive um what they were able to do considering um the limitations of budget and casting and all those kind of things um so i respect the effort um it was fine yeah it just it makes me laugh so hard maybe it made me chuckle a number of times but it like that's 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 about it the the main alien enforcer because they have to send their whatever their strike team down is this old fat man with like a Dom DeLuise mustache named Don Fuller yes. who talks like this. And then his henchmen are these two Asian guys, like Kung Fu fighters, I think they call them. Mm-hmm. Um, wearing like, and they're all wearing full like karate geese with belts and shit. And that's like their inconspicuous, whatever, like blend in with humanity. Right. They do the patches. We don't need no sticker matches, but still, right. I suppose we should have some. Yeah. yeah. There's um, a running joke about um, Julie Buckner, who's like the town slut, even though you never see her do anything. Um, including like up to the highest levels of government, they're like, "Oh, Grand Bosch, Julie Buckner, right?" <laughs> and then winking and nod. I don't know. I think it's a really funny movie and it's free on youtube it's like right. super easy to turn off if you're not into it but i think i don't know i would love to find some other people who like know this movie and enjoy this movie 
Right. So this this is one of those things, right? Like, um, like I, I, I appreciate like you telling that story because I think it's important, like to contextualize those kind of things, like in your life sometimes, um, you know, it's like plan nine. I think I told you all fair at some point in the last couple of weeks, like what this movie is for you is what plan nine was for us, because I think we ended up discovering, I think as Bledsoe ended up discovering plan nine. It wasn't because of Ed Wood. It was because of um, Seinfeld. Um, that episode of the Chinese restaurant, because uh, that's what they're going to go see when they get stuck at the Chinese restaurant. And um, Bledsoe ended up, uh, I think, I guess, buying it maybe for whatever or something. And um, we ended up watching it and we would watch it like all the time. And again, like Plan 9 is the kind of thing I can like watch over and over. And um, and I know most of the lines from it. Um, I still quote them sometimes, like if I get drunk enough um, to Orion specifically. And uh so yeah, we all have those things. Um, I think um, which the number one movie will be one of those things um, with me and Bledsoe specifically, like that that we discover in life. Uh, I was listening to a wrestling podcast recently. Um, there's a wrestling podcast uh, that I listen to re- religiously called The Laps Fan, and um, there was a guy telling a story because they're doing this uh, Patreon thing, which is what we need to strive for someday, um, where the um the the guy paid to have them look at a specific wrestling pay-per-view and they have like the people come on and like explain why they want them to like watch this and the guy tells the story about how like you know he he thought that he was going to like get his friends who didn't know he watched wrestling to like he's going to show them like parts of this pay-per-view and get them to like love wrestling suddenly it was going to find that friend like who would like watch like you know wrestling with them and stuff like that um and how like it just ended up being this big failure where they're all just like staring at it like and nobody's reacting whatsoever and um his fantasy of finding the wrestling friends just like failed um but i i think movies can be similar sometimes like when you find that movie like what you're describing and i think uh, what i thought about this past week like about that wrestling thing was that it's like i was lucky enough to have people that accepted those things and even like watch those things with me where there's people that don't have that and um my takeaway from this is that like while at the age of whatever 41 like you know i i thought this was funny at times and not at others i'm glad that you had people that like um when you were young, I like appreciated like the humor of this, like with you and, um, you know, you had those experiences and still have the fondness for it to this day because of that. Um, cause that's important. I think. Yeah. I mean, and there's still, um, I don't know. I still get that certain, I, I don't even know how to describe it. Like just weird, like feeling of almost like serendipity that, I don't go into this wool fucking Woolworth of all places on a specific day and happen to like dig through these bins of movies and find this one movie. Like I'll never have seen it. And it just, I don't know. Like, I think in terms of like a film parody, like it's definitely worth watching. And um, I know it's not for everybody. Like it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I think that there's enough people that could probably find some enjoyment in it. Yeah. Please. Oh, eh. <laughs> uh, um, as a side note for people that like know the, the this guy whatsoever, um, Robert B- 
Buckley is an actor um, who plays Doc Savile in this. He's like seven years old at the time or something like that. And um, he is an actor who ended up going on with some like claim to fame. He starred in One Tree Hill in the last couple of years of that show. And then he starred in I, Zombie as the male lead. Um, Major Lily White is the character's name in that show. One of the greatest names I've ever heard in my life. And um was in the running for that that that's chris has given you guys some false information here what that is not that is not the same actor it's not no doc savile is the old man doctor and it came from somewhere else he's like 70 in that movie oh wikipedia linked to the nah completely completely different person oh Hmm. they must have just pulled it up because it's the same name but yeah no Hmm. that different person yeah, because you had said that to me the other day, and I was like, it's so weird. Like, I didn't think any of those people ever did anything else, and then I never looked it up. But yeah, I just looked up Robert Buckley on Wikipedia. That's definitely not. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, anyway, I really like Robert Buckley as an actor. That's good. I think he, should be, he, he should do more stuff. Um, he, he lost out to Chris Evans as Captain America, and he probably would have made a pretty good Captain America. Uh, he's in the really bad when a killer calls. Um remake i guess i should watch the i zombie like you always tell me about it i don't i don't know how much you'd like it but it's 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 a fun show um i don't like fun things you don't you don't like comedies um i like this movie this movie's funny as shit it's true yeah you like this um aerial ground that made me laugh Right. Isn't that what comedy does? It makes you laugh. Um, you put Crocodile Dundee on this one time. So no, that's a comedy. Right. Sure. And what's that fucking movie? Uncle, <laughs> Uncle Buck. Uncle Buck. Right. The Great Outdoors. <laughs> you made me do all these goddamn m- movies that are funny. I think that was all the same list. One episode. You chose I put that. Napoleon Dynamite on the list. You did because it was 2004. What else are you going to put on there? The other guys was on a list. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You got it. Yeah, that's yeah. on the buddy cop list. You're 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 recalling well um, the the comedies that you put on lists. Before. It's easy to recall when you have such a small sampling size to choose from. <laughs> right. All right. So. Uh, we will be joined uh, for the first time ever uh, by a friend of the podcast on a top five episode as we get ready to move on to number one. So let's go ahead and do that. Let's do it. Okay. And number one on your list, Frank, this week is Demolition Man from 1993. It is directed by Marco Brambilla. It stars Sylvester Sloan, Wesley Snipes, Sandra Bullock, Benjamin Bratt, Dennis Leary, Bob Gunton, um, and a slew of others. It has a 60% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, a 66% from audiences. You want to tell us uh, a little bit about this movie and uh, initially why you have a number one on the list? Surprisingly high for the critics there. I would have thought it would have been lower. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know what you call it, an action thriller, sci-fi action thriller, um, in which uh, this awful criminal, played by Wesley Snipes, Simon Phoenix, um, and his nemesis, which is the Sylvester Sloan character, uh, John Spartan, um, have this huge, like, city block destroying brawl in this dystopian 1996 Los Angeles. Um, 
Spartan tricks all authorities and, or I'm sorry, Phoenix tricks all the authorities and Spartan into thinking that Spartan somehow caused the death of these 30 hostages um, that Phoenix had taken in a bus. So as a punishment to both of them, they get cryogenically frozen um, as their sentence. So instead of going to jail, they just get frozen until the future. Which, from like a logical perspective, like what kind of real punishment is that? Because then at some point you just get out and you're still young, so like you really haven't lost anything. Well, they are reconditioned um, though while they're in there, right? Yeah, but at the same time, you still get to like you know go and live a life, right? Like it's not like in prison sure. where if you get out, you're like seventy years old or whatever. Um. So anyway, in the future, um, all crime has basically been eliminated, as well as all real forms of like pleasure and individuality. Um, everyone lives in this, um, I guess like you would call it like utopian community of San Angeles, um, which is a conglomerate of what San Francisco, Los Angeles, and San Diego. San Diego, San Diego was the other one. Um, after like the great quake of 2010 caused most of California to whatever be destroyed. Um, Phoenix is thought out of his cryogenic freeze and basically escapes um they have no ability to apprehend him because he's like an actual criminal that knows how to use violence and the cops have no like ability to control crime anymore because it doesn't exist they don't know how to deal with it so this old cop um the grandfather from people under the stairs that's where i know him from um basically says like well we should we should get the guy that you know was able to take him down in the first place, John Spartan, because they served together. Um, and in the intro where the hostages are killed and the buildings blown up and whatever, um, he was the helicopter pilot, like the rookie helicopter pilot, apparently, and now he's like been on the force forever. So Spartan is thought out to combat Phoenix and immediately runs afoul of like everything in society because Sylvester Stallone is still like the machismo oozing modern man um, who knows how to like beat people up and use bad language. And there's a running joke throughout the movie that they, to their credit, like they never get off of this joke, which is every time you cuss, you get issued a ticket for like one credit for using profanity. And so every time anybody cusses in the movie, there's like the noise or whatever in the background of like this um, ticket being issued, which is really funny. Um, so Sylvester, uh, Spartan proceeds to chase Phoenix, like pretty much throughout the city. Um, it turns out that the guy who's, I don't know what you call him, like in charge, like almost like the, the dictatorial mayor or whatever of the city is, um, Raymond Cocteau. Um, he's the one that's created like all these rules and laws that sort of like outlawed all these things. Um, you find out that he thawed um phoenix out on purpose in order to kill uh the dennis leary character um is it michael friendly is that right michael friendly i need to get to uh, edgar friendly okay who's um that's like revolutionary who lives underground with all these other people that doesn't they don't abide by the rules of like modern society it's kind of like the morlock idea almost or whatever um living under the city in the sewers in this like otherworldly I don't know, like, kind of, I don't know, mockery of, like, modern society where they actually eat meat and 
have sex and cuss and drink beer and whatever. Um, so Spartan is at home down there. Um, Bullock plays the another police officer who's kind of assigned to keep an eye on Spartan. Um, they develop romantic feelings throughout the source, the course of the movie. Um, but she doesn't understand like the idea of sex or bot bodily fluid transfer, um, which leads to a really like pretty, I, I don't know, I guess it's probably intentionally funny scene um, with them having like virtual sex and <laughs> Sylvester Sloan making some of the most like uncomfortable and ungodly faces ever, like as he's being, um, I guess, orgasmically stimulated um, when he just wants to fuck. Um, so they end up, he ends up kind of realizing that something's afoot um, because Spartan didn't kill Cocteau when they confronted each other. So he works out um, through using these surveillance, surveillance videos that Cocteau is in league with, with um, Phoenix. So Phoenix gets all these other criminals from the past to be um, defrosted as well. Um, and they set out to take over the city. Um, including having one of the other criminals kill Cocteau. So now Phoenix is in charge um, and takes, what's his name, Otho or whatever with him, um, who plays, I don't remember what that actor's name is, the guy from Beetlejuice, who plays the... Um, yeah, it's Glenn, Glenn Shaddix. Um, I don't know, like the houseboy or whatever for <laughs> Cocteau. Personal assistant, I guess, is probably a more politically correct way to put that. He's an associate, according to his name. Associate. Professional Bob. associate, right. Um, so, Spartan ends up, like, going to take down Phoenix. There's a bunch of fights, like, inside um, whatever the name of the laboratory is where these, the cryogenics are. Um, because Phoenix's idea is he's going to let all the criminals go and then take over the city because they won't be able to stand against them. Um, but Dennis Leary and his ragtag mob, um, come and help and they end up in a fight in the end with, um, Stallone and Phoenix in the big cryogenic chamber, uh, where Stallone comes out victorious. Um, and then they reemerge into a world where basically no one knows how to live, but Stallone's like, yeah, you'll figure it out. And then makes out with Bullock and that's it. Okay. So I, I do want to just mention that for the first time ever on our top five list, we did invite um, friend of the podcast, Mike Bledsoe, to join us specifically to talk about this movie. The um, I, I couldn't talk about this movie without asking him on because this is a movie with that he and I, how, how many times do you estimate that we've seen this like when we were in teenagers? Oh, gosh, I have no idea. Um, maybe like. I don't know, 30 times a year yeah. for, for three years. <laughs> right. Um, it's something embarrassing and ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we used to watch this constantly um, for multiple reasons, I guess, which we'll end up discussing. But um, now, Frank, you uh, kind of independently, like, I think you knew of like this about us, like how much we watched it when we were young. But um uh, we were just talking about before we went on air. It's kind of surprising that this made this list. Um, so, what 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 drew you to like Demolition Man and like why it's on here, especially at number one? I think that it's, I think it's a really interesting concept. That's like you can tell that there was a lot of hands in the pot in terms of like writing this movie because it tries to be so many different things at the same time. 
and then it just ends up being like really funny most of the time i think um the dialogue in the movie for the most part is 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 not very good but stallone and uh wesley snipes both do and sandra bullock too who does a really great job um they really just like invest themselves in trying to make everything seem believable and compelling and i don't know it's just it's it's a really fun movie i, I think that you kind of lost some of that fun in terms of action movies um from the 90s going forward where they were just trying to be i don't know like big budget set pieces as opposed to actually enjoyable films but i think the demolition man is a really good callback to stuff like i don't know like commando and the stuff from the 80s that i really like um and it's like objectively not like a good movie i don't think but it still is really entertaining I, i i pretty much agree with most of what you said there i think so it pulls from a bunch of different influences and um there's a lot going on like with the the vision of the future and and all of the different elements that they address there and i got to say like rewatching this i'm i'm coming i'm coming hot off a fresh rewatch in the last 10 minutes um <laughs> rewatching this i was amazed by how good the acting was of the, the three principles and wesley snipes really bothered me he he seemed like a legitimate psycho in this movie and I don't know. I probably haven't seen him in that many movies, but um, he he really seemed like someone I would never want to encounter. <laughs> um, and Sandra Bullock, I I loved her character and how she, uh, yeah, she really invested herself in the in the role and the um, uh, I, I just I just think like the the sort of the obsession with the with the 20th century and the, and trying to like, trying to, um, I don't know. I don't know how to say it, but <clears throat> trying to be like a 20th century police officer with like no actual life experience and, um, to, <laughs> to ground her. And, um, yeah, I think I thought she was great. Um, and Stallone, at first, Stallone to me came off as a little bit embarrassing um, because he he kind of came out looking like a Rocky character or something, but um, but then I kind of got the idea that this is exactly this is exactly who this John Spartan guy is supposed to be. He's supposed to be like this brutish, um, <laughs> this. Uh, you know, brutish, tough guy, you know, wisecrack type character. And uh, he, I don't know if it was his acting or if he was just perfectly cast. Maybe it was just, maybe it was more casting than acting. Um, I think it's both of those things. And Chris, when you're talking about how much we watched this movie, I mean, there are a few movies, there are a few movies that we watched over and over again. And this this was one of them um and i would i would describe it for for somebody not familiar with the situation is <laughs> it, it was almost like our own personal rocky horror cult mm-hmm. film or something mm-hmm. we would like be like waiting for the like we we would know like exactly what's coming up next we'd be waiting for the next line of dialogue waiting for the um 
<laughs> like I was writing down some of the some of the some of the <laughs> some of the lines that we used to that we used to uh, laugh about, um, and uh, I had forgotten most of them. But uh, but yeah, I pretty much agree with Frank. I think this is a good movie. I think for me, especially the first half of it, was really entertaining, and. Um, it wasn't until it got into this more action-oriented stuff with the car chase and the fight scenes and everything that I got bored with it. Like the last thirty minutes, probably or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I even liked all of the relationship stuff between Stallone and, and Bullock and the, you know, going to Taco Bell and and going back to her yeah. farm and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think when we watched this, like you said, that's a really good comparison like a personalized rocky horror like where we would like almost like wait for the lines and say the lines and like even to the point we watched this so many times and it wasn't immediate like you i remember it was you that called it um and do you still remember this is when the damn car goes through that big glass thing yeah. outside like that it explodes before yeah it's like a full second before it goes <laughs> yeah right the glass explodes before the car even makes contact with it right um but it's like that kind of stuff like we wait for it and we'd like pause it like right at that moment like just to try to catch like the explosion happening before the car hits it so like there is a ridiculousness to this that i think drew us in but watching it again it feels less free. It does. It's still ridiculous, but it's actually a better movie. Like I, I used to think, yeah, it was like this awful movie that we would make fun of. Yeah. It was actually, look, it's objectively ridiculous dialogue sure. and like all these other things. And some of that is on purpose. And I don't think some of it's not, but yeah. it's actually the fun outweighs everything. And I actually have come around to like, not like feeling a little bit of just, uh, I don't know what I felt for at the time, but, um, I don't know. I have a better feeling about it now than I used to. Like before, it was like a thing to make fun of, and now it can still be a thing to be made fun of. But there's some artistry here, especially I think in the acting, and I think the acting is what drags this from being a complete and utter piece of shit to something that's really fun. Like, yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting that like there's so many things in this movie that would have been incredibly topical in a lot of ways in like 1993 um in particular the thing that really caught me was um the dennis miller or not dennis miller dennis leary um monologue Mm -hmm. um when they're down in like the sewers yeah he was basically just doing his yeah his his shtick that he was doing on tv all the time back then yeah but like watching this movie in 2021 who the fuck knows like who dennis leary is or like so it just comes off as this really weird like the unhinged rant from this dude <laughs> for no reason that's true <laughs> yeah no I, I i thought about that too when i was watching today because it's like oh right i forgot like he's doing his bit you know like which was his bit in 93 but yeah nobody knows that bit now yeah like if they know dennis leary if anybody knows dennis leary like nowadays really it's more from something like rescue me where he's like a emmy nominated actor as opposed to like this comedian who just did funny rants while he smoked you know i mean that's all i know about dennis leary is yeah. the commercials mm-hmm. was that was that dan cortez playing piano at the it top was. Of yep yep <laughs> Yeah, he's also also in the background as uh, one of the prison guards in the cryo chamber thing. Oh wow! Okay, 
Yeah, there's a bunch of like little small things where people appear, appear in this. Um, Jack Black is one of the uh, uh, scraps down, like the Morlocks, uh, as Frank called him. <laughs> like, um, he's he's down there. Um, and uh, fuck, who else was in this? Um, I can't remember. It's a lot. Of, well, it's funny mind. they got like Jesse Ventura, and he's in what like two scenes, basically. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he basically doesn't do anything in the whole movie. Yeah, he's the is he the one that kills um he's the one that shoots Cocteau, um, Cocteau or yeah, Cocteau. Cocteau. yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, he doesn't have like much of a role considering like he had much bigger roles in the years previous to this in action movies. Right. But. but there's other things too, like the reference to Schwarzenegger becoming president. Um which like, you know, I mean ten years after that Schwarzenegger would be governor of California. Sure. And whatever, 20-some years after, we had a equally as ridiculous celebrity become president. Right. Um, so I don't know. There's it, It's the dedication in that movie to creating like a fully realized world is pretty fantastic. And I think that maybe I didn't appreciate it when I was a kid, like how much went into. I mean, and it's all like borrowed, I think, from other sources or and it's not done yeah. in a way where it's like stealing. It's like really reverential, I think, to. You know, Brave New World and 1984 and some other, um, whatever, dystopian, like, sources. But it, it just, it comes off as fun. Sandra Bullock does a lot to, I think, like you said, like, her performance, she's so genuine and happy and, like, innocent the whole time and just seems to be enjoying, like, the idea of being with this relic from her favorite century. Like, just hanging out and her uh, malaprops or whatever like lick my ass and we're gonna lick his ass and what else is we're gonna blow him and right take this job and shovel it yeah there's another one before she says lick lick his ass yeah it, it's fuck but that's the very first one I think. yeah yeah she says two right in a row though yeah you're yeah. right at that time and yeah i can't remember what the other one is right now uh those i think those are some of the lines that we used to almost make fun of like because they they're not really i don't know they're not really clever they're not really clever but they're kind of presented like a clever joke or something and i think Mm -hmm. we used to i don't know i think we used to roll our eyes at at those a little bit yeah i i mean i i i i think i still roll my eyes to some degree internally but i understand what they're trying to develop better like in terms of that character now yeah and maybe i'm just uh more forgiving now yeah i'm not a teenager anymore but um but i actually thought they were funny this time watching it um and again i think it was because i was i was like um i was i was more uh or i i felt that the the Sandra Bullock character was more believable or something, or she, mm-hmm. felt, she felt a little bit more genuine to me or more sincere or something like that. And, and so I, I found those a little bit more endearing than the, one we, of the funny things about it is that we've just lost, like this kind of movie just doesn't get made anymore. Like if it's, if you're going to have an action movie, it's either going to be like, I don't know, like overly, sentimental or sappy or it's going to try and have some like like taken and a walk among the gravestones and i don't know even stuff like the fast and the furious series which is done more tongue-in-cheek 
it still comes off as like almost condescending or too cool or whatever. Like there's not a sense of like fun like there is in this movie. Yeah. And when we were young, like that's what all the movies were. Like they all had right. that, you know, like it was just kind of something that you could watch and it was entertaining and there was jokes and action and you know, a lot of times like with the R-rated movies you'd see some boobs or whatever, but it would be you know, like just a fun time watching a movie. And then I think the only thing that comes close to that anymore, and it still is maybe even a little too serious, is the John Wick series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because at least there's some fun, like in that universe, in terms of just like sure you watching it, like as a viewer. But yeah. Yeah. Cause they've been the more enjoyable action movies, like that I've seen in a long time, those movies. I, I don't yeah. know. Do, do filmmakers, like, are they, are they trying to entertain people at this point? Are they like trying to? do something else well everybody's trying to be they're trying to make they, every anyone that's making genre films anymore is making them with this idea that they're going to be something more than what they are and i think that's mostly because of like maybe stuff like john wick but also like horror movies because they're done in a way where there's a subtext to everything yeah. and it's like not the hidden subtext of like 70s and 80s horror it's like a very like i don't know blatant subtext kind of and i just don't think people know how to make fun movies really well uh, you know and this is something i'm going to attribute to you blood so I, but I, i'm positive i'm right like you you started bitching about this idea of things being meta a long time ago like a, i remember you like bitching about like you know like references to things that came previously and stuff and how like you thought it was getting out of control um and, and you, I remember you saying about in terms of comedy, especially, but um, um, uh, like you have any probably no, I don't. But it was like 15 years ago. Um, uh, I remember like you, you kind of being on that. And I, I think that one of the things that's happened, like why these movies don't get made anymore, and Frank, this kind of ties into like the horror movie stuff that we'll be talking about soon over the next few months. I think is that like, I think it's just like everybody's like. God, I don't want to sound like Dave Rubin or like uh, uh, Jordan <laughs> Peterson or something like, but it's this kind of like postmodernist thing where it's just like you constantly have to keep building new levels of meta, um, you know, um, in terms of both the subtext and the text of things to the point where it's like exhausting, where like this is a reference to this thing and this is a reference to this thing, but it's putting this twist on this and it's putting this twist on this to where it's like you have to be like, if you want to fully understand what the filmmaker, this genius is trying to do in the modern age, um, you have to be an expert on the action film and the history of the previous 50 yeah. years. And I, that makes it not fun. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. it's not about the enjoyment of the story that they're trying to tell. It's about showing how clever you are a lot of times, I think. And I think one of the things with John Wick is that it really is just this insular universe, much like this movie is. Just this insular universe where you have a protagonist and that protagonist you know, um, whatever their traits or faults are, like, is somebody that you can kind of cheer for, and and it just tells the story of that world, and, you know, it goes from beginning to end, from plot point to plot point, and it's about the story, not about references to the history of film, like, so. Yeah, so, per- yeah, so I totally agree with that. Perfect example, we were talking before we got on the, we were talking before we got on the recording here about some of the references to things like Brave New World and some of the names and and what they're referencing and, and stuff. But do you you don't have to know that Lenina Huxley is a reference to Brave New World 
in order right. to enjoy this movie or in order to enjoy that character. And it's it's really completely like immaterial to what's going on. Um, but I think that what bothers me about about the whole meta thing is that um, I, I feel like people people um it's it's sort of like this weird self-justifying thing where where people think that they're um you know i guess they're demonstrating their own cleverness or their own um knowledge or 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 whatever and um and the audience kind of like the audience rewards them for it oh yeah because the audience they get the reference and then they take that as their prize that's the prize that they got from watching the movie is that is that they got the reference and they're on the they're on the inside right it's like yeah it's like uh this um yeah it's like this insider like way of like feeling that like you're you're on the in joke and you're better because you were in on the in joke and and then you could probably go post on Reddit or, you know, something about like, you know, did anybody else like catch this? Like, I mean, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, which I see way too many of those threads sometimes. But I, I, I do. Yeah, I think you're right. I think audiences are different in terms of what they're looking for. Um, I just realized, did you know, Frank, uh, like the, uh, Benjamin Bratt's character? Did you catch his name is Alfredo Garcia? Um, no, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, it's like another reference, but again, you don't need to know the reference, you know, like in order. What is that to... a reference to? It's a Sam Peckinpah um, okay. movie. His last, I guess, maybe his last movie. Anyway, it's yeah. a movie he made. Bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. Um, so uh, one thing I wanted to, that I noticed this time that I've never through whatever my you know eighty plus watches of this movie throughout my life. Um, did anybody like get Batman Joker vibes in that opening scene? Like watching it this time, like the one that's set in 20, whatever, or 1996 or whatever ridiculous year it is. Um, when he collapses the. Yeah. When he collapses the thing, like I, I feel like that there was a lot of Joker, especially the, like the colorfulness of like, and the way that like uh snipes is acting, that there's a lot of like, almost like Joker elements that they put into the character. Um, and maybe that's just because I've seen the Joker played in certain ways now and I can't keep time straight or, you know, I mean, um, but it feels like there's a lot of Joker-esque stuff with him. And there's a very specific scene, uh, in the opening where he, uh, Stallone, uh, Spartan is uh, standing against the corner and does a back fist as the guy's coming towards him, which I mean, I will forever uh, equate yeah, with Batman. That is a, that is straight out of the, the Tim Burton Batman. <laughs> Yeah, and it's just like, and I think that's what, like, you know, it, like seeing that and thinking about Batman, like, then I started noticing, like, oh, like, there's a lot of, like, kind of like Batman elements of him propelling down, like, the, you know, elevator and throwing himself through, you know, the window. And, um, and then, like, just the, the interaction between the two of them, like, and it's like, and I did read from the original screen rate that was not in the original script started in whatever it is 2032 yeah um and they add and they added this scene on with the justification which makes sense the justification the way it was described was that oz isn't special unless you see kansas um and but 
that that scene like if you notice this action in this movie doesn't start till like 42 minutes in like the actual plot of this movie it's deep into the movie but i think a lot of that is that tacked on like you know 14 minute sequence you know at the beginning of showing the past and all that kind of stuff um so it was a different screenwriter <laughs> that did that mm-hmm. scene and it's like i just wonder like if he had a different vision to some degree or what was going on there but i just i'll tell you one of the, my one of my favorite parts in the movie well one of the, i think the most impressive is that building getting blown up um in the beginning of it where they actually blew up a building like that thing's crazy like watching that thing explode and then collapse I, yeah yeah and i i like the whole gritty the the like gritty uh dystopian look of that whole intro sequence yeah that quote and, that, that christian said is I, it's a great quote because it's like such a stark contrast to this you know beautiful clean like perfect city of san angeles that you see later in the movie yeah what's interesting um frank won't like this but um what it actually reminded me of watching it is toward like is uh towards the end of strange days um and how um how the city looked there um it's it's very similar to me of like how like demolition man portrays like the near future versus also like how um uh, Bigelow portrays um, the near future in Strange Days to me. What year was was Demolition Man? Ninety three. So was were they sort of like coming off of the L.A. riots and trying yes. to project, trying to yeah. project into the future? Oh, there's there's a ton of stuff there that's like very referential to things from the early nineties. I think, mm-hmm. like specifically the L.A. riots, but also things like. Um, I don't know, just like the idea that civilization was like coming to an end because yeah. um, people were out of control and mm-hmm. the idea of censorship in terms of, you know, what was her name? Like Tipper Gore's music censorship and the idea of like not being able to say certain things and like all that's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we didn't even talk about the whole like the puritanical nature of the of the new world or anything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. But, um but yeah like the idea that music has been so whatever like sanitized that the only thing people listen to are commercial jingles from the 20th century yeah which is i think a really i I thought that that made me laugh actually heinous (laughs) that is a heinous vision (laughs) yeah (laughs) um what's what's interesting about that specifically about like uh the way the future is portrayed this has actually gained um, uh, some steam in the past, like six years, from my reading about it um, in right wing circles. This movie um, yeah. about the as danger, a, as a vision to be pursued. Uh, no, as 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 a as a oh, removing okay. freedom of speech, sanitizing everything. I got gotcha. um, So it's it's actually been um, uh, common to reference things like you know. Um, uh, uh, uh what bloomberg soda ban like years ago like you know there's like comments that people would make about like we're getting closer to De- demolition man like on twitter and stuff so it's like demolition man is like started to trend among right-wing circles over the course of like the past um seven years which is an interesting thing and then uh, it gained a lot of popularity last year which is why i read so many interviews with the screenwriters he was getting interviewed because of covid 
about like the bodily fluid stuff, the handshakes that weren't handshakes. They just like touched, you know, like their hands in the air close to one another. Um, and people started making connections with Demolition Man sure. to uh, some of that material as well. Think about how how like ridiculous that looked when when sure. when we were watching this movie as teenagers. Right. Right. And now we're like spent the last year trying to figure out how do I greet somebody without touching them. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, but back then it was absurd. And um there there was another thing I wanted to mention around one of these like these uh predictions, prescient kind of um elements. Uh did did you remember so did you know how in the movie they keep telling each other to be well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you remember Walgreens trying to do that um, about six or seven years ago? No. I do remember that. They um, they started making all of their cashiers tell the customers to be themselves. <laughs> so after you checked out, they wouldn't say, like, oh, have a good one or take it easy or thanks for shopping here or whatever. They would say, be well. And it was... Um, <laughs> It was really, it was really very, uh, I, I don't know, unnerving is maybe that's not the word, but it was, it, it was, uh, so ridiculously scripted. Right. It's like a step for wise type thing. Almost. Exactly. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's exactly yeah. what it was. And, um, eventually they, they, uh, they pulled that back and stopped doing it, but that was like their whole brand. I mean, they had, they had like created this whole brand about being well. Right. And then. And then um, had kind of like had scripted out uh, the the positive language in which to use. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, I did. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, um, that's I really, pretty common, like in retail though. In the couple of retail jobs I've worked, yeah. you know, you you definitely have these are the things you want your your employees to say to a customer. Yeah, like how Chick Fil A always says, "My pleasure." Yeah. Instead of you're welcome. Shit, I didn't even notice that. I don't go to Chick-fil-A really? that often, but yeah, I, I now, now that you said it, but yeah, sure. Like, but yeah. Um, I wonder who would win the great fast food wars now. <laughs> yeah. Oh. No, I just wanted to mention real quick. Um, so there, there was like a, a, a fair amount of humor in this movie and and I don't know if that makes it I don't know if that makes it unique, but the the combination of humor and sci-fi, I don't think is something that I've seen a lot. Um I don't know. Is that is that true or is that something that Um I mean just off the top of my head, I'm thinking like I mean, so not to the so Independence Day has a lot of comedy, I think, in it, but not to this extent to me. Um Yeah uh men in black comes uh, to mind immediately i mean there's that there's a movie that was released this year that tried the exact same formula and failed miserably in 93 when in last action hero oh right yeah and you I were mean, telling, that, right you were mentioning that, that to me yeah Go that ahead. basically tries to have all the same i mean it's it's independent of each other like you know they don't have anything to do with each other in terms of like plot but it's an aging movie star like action hero who's interacting in like a fantastical way 
you know, with like the world that he doesn't necessarily belong in. And there's all kinds of like in jokes and action sequences. And it actually has like a much higher caliber production cast because it's John McTiernan directed it. Shane Black did the screenplay and it just falls flat like most of the movie. So it's just, um, I, I was reading an article that compared the two because I was curious, like, because I don't mind Black Flashing Hero. I just don't think it's very good. Um, and Ebert, like, opined at the time that he thought because Schwarzenegger was coming off one of his greatest successes, to have a movie kind of fall flat made people like it less. Mm. And because Stallone had made a bunch of, like, garbage, basically, for the better part of, like, five or six years, that because he made a movie that people genuinely enjoyed, it made him enjoy it more. But, I mean, I think, like, I, I think the problem was that a lot of those movies that tried to meld comedy and um, action, especially because what they did was they tried to go with the one-liner. Like, it was all about getting the tagline on the t-shirt and, you know, like, Eraser or whatever a few years after this is the same thing where it's, like, a big-budget sci-fi action movie, but it's got elements of comedy to it and because it's just trying to force the comedy. Whereas I think it feels more organic in Demolition Man. <clears throat> like you're not making fun of the character you're the joke is just there you know what i mean like it's not like yeah. being forced down your throat maybe or inorganically so yeah and the action comedy is christ isn't everything an action comedy now like i mean like nowadays like any any almost any movie you look at like what what's the one i keep seeing advertisements on youtube for uh I can't remember the name because they've confused you so fucking much by like playing with the title of it in the commercial. It's like the the hitman's wife's bodyguard or something like that. Do you know what oh, I'm talking I, about, Frank? I don't have to watch commercials on YouTube, so I don't. Oh know. right, yeah, sorry. Um, right, I forgot. Free for Frank. Um, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, there's this movie with fucking Ryan Reynolds, you know, um, fucking movie, but. It's like this ridiculous title, but it's it's just another like action comedy, and it's like it feels like everything's a fucking action comedy like nowadays. Like um, like you said, the Fast and the Furious movies are action comedies. Like the um, uh, but I, I I think the difference is that they're comedy comedy action films. Like they're right. trying to make the joke first, and then have a compelling like action movie second. Whereas Demolition Man is like building a world and trying to tell you a story and then the comedy just kind of comes like along with all that maybe well, like sure, Stallone, yeah. when Stallone says <clears throat> I'm a seamstress like, <laughs> right. it's like the whole the whole world and even going back to like the, the prison and the conditioning and and the, the sort of like the the, um, the pacifism and ever ever <laughs> and the like emasculation there's like all of those elements contribute to that to that one-liner it's mm-hmm. not just a, a cheap one-liner right it comes and, out and it the, comes out of the, the world that, they create right like they introduce it without even telling you they're introducing it because yeah. he's just all pissed off on the couch after he, fails, <laughs> after he fails to have sex with sandra bullock and he just is like wrapping that yarn around and knitting I made you a sweater. <laughs> right. And it's an actual, it's a joke that is also used to propel the romantic, you know, um, story forward as well. So, I mean, it's serving multiple functions at the same time. Um, and that's the kind of script. 
it makes me sound like I'm me fucking talking about the script writing of this is makes it sound like it's some kind of classic or something. But it's like, um, but it, it is. It's something you don't see that often anymore. Where yeah. it's like one thing is being used for different purposes inside of a story. I mean, for something that is this kind of just at the time probably mediocre. Um, you just don't see that kind of script writing. Like it, it would just be about the punchline now, right? And that's I mean, it. it was it was a joke, and the punchline would be a reference to some sort of postmodern thing from outside of the movie, right? right. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, absolutely. Going back to the idea of sci-fi comedies, I just did look it up. Um, I mean, it's an adaptation, of course, but Hitchhiker's Guide um, yeah. combines the two. Um, Galaxy Quest, which has a lot of cult appeal um, for a lot of people, like in terms of like people being into it. And that one to me feels like I've never seen Galaxy Quest, but just from my understanding of it, that feels more like a parody or more like a comedy with sci-fi elements mm -hmm. rather than a sci-fi movie that has funny stuff in it. Right. Yeah. Um, so um, this is something we'll talk about like uh, after word finished here bloodso but um <laughs> uh but um the other one which is probably maybe the most popular out of all the marvel movies is um gardens of the galaxy um mm -hmm. uh, among a lot of fans which is you know uh, more of a sci-fi premise rather than a superhero premise and um has lots of comedy you know inside of it and um but yeah you're right there there's not a lot of sci-fi comedy necessarily um you know, you can go back and like talk about weird science and those kind of things, but um, but in terms of like kind of combining that action blockbuster aspect, not a lot, not a lot. Well, because a lot of the sci-fi movies that have come out in the past, I don't know, say ten or fifteen years, you look at stuff like Edge of Tomorrow and After Earth, and it's these star vehicles that are supposed to be these serious meditations on the environment or our tech the role of technology in our lives and like look i don't like strange days but at least strange days tried to have like a sense of personality about all that it wasn't just you know like overexposed shots of mopey looking actors sitting in these sterile environments which is like what half of the shit when you see right, sci-fi right. it, it, it wasn't a thesis on uh um you know uh an argument thesis you're right <laughs> Fucking movie. Uh, it still um, had social commentary. What's that? I said it still had social commentary. It, like, it did, but it, like it's it's first and foremost, a, you know, an, an action movie, like a an action noir or whatever you want to call yeah. it, like muddled mass of shit. But I mean, at least it's like trying to be like something, you know. Whereas, <laughs> great. Oh my god, I fucking hate that movie so much. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, can, uh, can, can I ask you guys a cool one more question about that much? Uh huh. Uh, have, so, have you noticed how the three seashells has become a kind of a meme? Yeah. On the internet, mm -hmm. I was so I, shocked the first time I saw that referenced online because I've never seen like that reference. You, you no? Okay. No, it's a really funny line in the movie. I've what's, seen what's a lot on. Yeah, I've seen a lot on Reddit and stuff like that. Huh. But, um. I don't know. I felt like Dem Demolition Man was just something that Chris and I watched. <laughs> right. I didn't think anybody else ever saw it. And right. um, we certainly never had any challenges running it every weekend. <laughs> well, I eventually bought it. Yeah, I guess you did. Yeah. Um, 
but <laughs> a I mean, sound economic decision. Maybe I'm, right. thinking, I'm thinking of the getaway. Um, the get- oh, <laughs> right. I, I never bought the getaway. Right. What was our other? So there's the getaway. There was Demolition Man, and what else? Mm, I'm not You're sure. talking about the Alec Baldwin, Kim Basinger getaway. Oh yeah. Right? Oh, yes. oh my. Oh yes. Oh, that movie's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, God! I think I rented that movie like three times though too. I don't know why. Do you, I, I so I did read about Schwarzenegger because there's no answer to the three seashells thing. Like basically, yeah. what what the scriptwriter says is the reason it was put in there is because he was in a friend's um bathroom and ha- and the friend had a bunch of uh seashells in a bag, and just from there he's just like, okay, I'm just I'm throwing this line yeah. in, you know? Um, yeah. But Schwarzenegger, I guess, was asked about or Schwarzenegger. Stallone was asked about it and like tried to like give an explanation for it. And his explanation was that you use the two shells to scoop out and then what and the third to clean. Uh-huh. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean God damn. That's probably the explanation anyone would come up with. <laughs> what else are you gonna do with the shells? Right. Right. Um Do you know did you remember that we so we got kind of obsessed with Sylvester Stallone after watching this movie for so many times, and it and want to watch Judge Dredd in the theater. Yeah. Well, we of course we watched uh, Judge Dredd in the theater and Cliffhanger, or not Cliffhanger. Uh, what was it called? Shit. The Specialist. The spe- well, the Specialist. There's another one too. Hold on. Oh, there is Copland. No, no. not Copland. <laughs> I I did see Copland in the theater though. Me too. I I like Copland. Yeah. I just, that that just is not. That's not like action hero Stallone. No, yeah, that's I, sad, sad, depressing Stallone. Oh no, we did the same thing with Wesley Snipes though, because we wanted to see Drop Zone. Ooh, that's what drop. I was thinking of. Oh well, it also had Gary Busey, so you can't. No, it. it did right. It was a double whammy almost. Like, yeah. Did uh, you guys go see? I'll Blade? tell you what I remember about Drop Zone is I remember going to Upton Movie Store, and it was during the era when they had both Drop Zone and The Crow at mm. the same time. I think I might have gone and seen both of them there. Yeah, your your cousin Eric went with us to Drop Zone, right? I think he went with. I think I went with him to. Maybe he was supposed to go with us to the Crow, and then something happened, and then. But yeah, he went with us to Drop Zone. I think. Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, we were uh... a specialist, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. There's some kind of thing where they're like they're in right. The only thing I remember about that movie is I think it's after a, some kind of like awful sex scene, um, where there's like this building like that. It's a house like that has like a bunch of glass on it and is overhanging like you know it's one of those houses that are built into like a mm-hmm. outside or something. And there's some kind of explosion and like the house like tilts and there's some kind of action scene like with. Like sl- them all sliding, like the furniture <laughs> sliding. That's the only thing I remember about that movie. Only thing. I remember Stallone in the shower. Yes. Mm-hmm. With uh, what's her name? Sharon Stone. Sharon. Yeah. Sharon. Stone. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's the seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. Hmm. Yeah. We went and saw some bad movies. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, got um, it's got quite the cast though. Stone, Stallone, Eric Roberts, James Wood, Rod Steiger, Ooh, Mario Roberts. Sanchez. Um, you know what else uh, Eric Roberts was in was um, fuck, what's the name of it? 
It was also Alec uh, Baldwin, right? I'm thinking of the Terry, the Terry Hatcher. One that's set like in... Um, oh, Heaven's Prisoner? Heaven's Pri- no, that was yeah, like, right. Alec Baldwin. Not Yeah, but Eric Roberts is the villain in that, I think. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, he is. He's, um, what's your name's White? Uh, isn't he? Terry Hatcher. Terry hey, Hatcher's husband uh, in the movie? Yes. Another yes. movie Another movie that we went to see because we were had the, a weird, weird obsession with um, Alec Baldwin. We right because of the getaway, right? Yeah, I mean, I think we were also interested in what we heard. Harry Hatcher was naked. Yeah. yeah, and look, that's one of the only movies I've ever walked out on in my entire life. <laughs> right. Um, we 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 stuck with it. Um, we I we continued care. watching it, but it, it was really disappointing. <laughs> I remember looking over at Zeke and being like, "Are we really going to sit here?" And he was like, "No, you want to get out of here? This movie sucks." So we were like, "Yeah, let's leave," and we just left and probably went to Bennigan's. <laughs> <laughs> Frank, um, Chris claims that the only movie he ever walked out on was "Don't Throw Mama from a Train." No, 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 that's that you're wrong. It's a Stallone movie, actually. Oh, is it the one where "Stop or My Mom Will Shoot"? Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Yep, yeah. he loves he loves "Don't Throw Mama from the Train." Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's, it's "Throw Mama from the Train." And yeah, it's, <laughs> oh, it's not "Don't." It's <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't, yeah. No, it's "Throw Mama from the Train." You created you just created the sequel, and I have a feeling that I have a feeling that makes it indifferent list at some point, some year, right? Uh, it's it. I don't know if it's if I'm indifferent to it. I definitely have feelings about it. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, it was stop for my mom or shoot is the only movie that I've ever walked out on. I also walked out on the abyss, but that was only because I was like eight years old and sleepy. Hmm. Although I still, still don't care for that. I still, I still don't yeah. like that movie. Yeah. One of the most beautiful underwater movies ever filmed. Oh, God. Like it's, it. it's so long. It's so fucking long and just fucking... You want to talk about like somebody beating up their own ass with it? Like, come on. Okay, All right. spring, summer, winter, spring, fall, spring, summer. <laughs> I'm going to make you I'm gonna make you watch that bitch again. I'm going to make you do it. Um, <clears throat> you, got, you got away with it once, but not again. <laughs> um... All right. Well, I think we covered um, uh, Demolition Man uh, pretty thoroughly. Did, real quick, but what are some of? Did you write down the lines you said? What What are some of the lines I don't remember? Like us, like like which oh, yeah. lines we specifically? So stay here, be well, and Cocto's an asshole. asshole. Yes, I. That still made me laugh. Um, yeah, that still made me laugh. Yeah, because it's so awkwardly delivered. Like, because it, because it, it, it's it's because there's no parallelism to it. I realize now what makes it what makes it funny is the parallel structures off. It's like it's like it's like an it's imperative voice, right? It's like stay here, be well, and then it's cocktails and asshole. <laughs> yes. Right. Uh- the, the, so there was a line at the end which I could not understand what Stallone was saying. I had to turn on the subtitles. It was it was at the end after he's after he's defeated Snipes and he's um, he's talking to Edgar and the the police chief guy, mm-hmm. and he says to the he he says to the police chief guy he goes, "Why don't you get a little?" I couldn't tell what he was saying, but what he says is, "Why don't you get a little dirty?" And then he goes to Edgar, you a lot clean. <laughs> Is that what he... he says you a lot clean. <laughs> I mean, I'll have it's so it's so absurd. I'd I'd probably want to go right. back. I okay. 
I mean, it's, anyway. it's, 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 it's really poorly delivered. It, it's, it's a fantastic, like, exchange. That's when, that, that's right before he's like, you're going to have to get together and, you know, uh, just figure it out. Yeah. He's just, and like, somewhere in the middle, you, you figure it out. Yeah. That's his solution to, like, correcting <laughs> this fucking dystopian nightmare that he's created. It's a, hey, it's still better. It's still a bit better than um, uh, Schwarzenegger walking away at the end of Running Man. So, hmm. uh, is it? Yeah, I didn't read. I didn't write any other lines down. It was Cocteau's an asshole. Cocteau's Cocteau's an asshole is uh is yeah. That, I I did still laugh at that a lot. Um, and yeah, uh, <laughs> a lot more clean. I also noticed there, like when he's fighting Snipes in the final fight, um. There's two things that I thought about this. Is like one is they Snipes says some one liner to him, and I because I always keep the subtitles on, and he says not. Stallone says not. <laughs> like Mike Myers, right? And it's like I was like, oh, he's gonna say, it's gonna be this thing where it's like he he says not and like punches him, and then it's like whatever today and like punches him again. It just stops with not. <laughs> he just says not in response, and the fight just continues. And I was like, oh, is it supposed to be like the 90s, 80s, 90s version of sitting there and saying, yes. like, not? <laughs> That's what it was supposed to be. And I don't think Stallone has any clue of, like, <laughs> what that... He didn't have the delivery on it? Right, right. He just <laughs> says, he just says not. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the other thing is when fucking Snipes gets cryo frozen or whatever. I have no idea about the science behind this whatsoever. Would would the hair not get frozen as well? That the blonde, blonde hair. hair. <laughs> that blonde hair is is glorious. What? Yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I I I can't speak to the science, but I was a little caught off by the. <laughs> The fact that it's like the, the blonde hair is still just fair. Well, yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no other color or pigmentation going on anywhere. It's just right. ice, right, right. <laughs> it's like I think the hair would get frozen. It's like, it's like okay, so is it not frozen because it's a signifier of who, what character it is? But it's like there's been no cut, there's been no deviation from the action. You know who the fuck's head it is. Like you don't need the blonde hair to signify. I, I, I. Did. I didn't quite understand why the the hair isn't frozen as well. Maybe the spray. I thought it was the right decision. <laughs> What'd you say? Right. Maybe it's just the way that the freeze, I don't know, liquid shit, like ran up, like it just ran out at that point. Mm. Or maybe it's so <laughs> right up to it. I think that's my favorite explanation. That is the best explanation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, okay. Um, Mike, thank you for um, thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah thanks for talking coming about on. this. Um, like I said, a, a kind of a pivotal thing in um, like our, our lives at one point it was this movie, um, but. Uh, so thank you for listening, everybody. Have a good week um, and be, be well. Be well. Peace.